Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Good to have you here. Hey, whatever the reason is that you're here, I'm really glad that you're here. So some of you, you know, you woke up all excited, you're looking forward to today, and it's, it's great. And some of you are like, ah, I don't even want to be at church, but I don't know, a relative dragged me. Some of you, a friend <laughs> called you and said, hey, you want to go out to breakfast? And you were like, sure. And then they pulled into the church parking lot, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> what, is, what is this? And um, now you're still here. So if this is a surprise, surprise, we're glad you're here. Um, we are really excited that uh, you brought a friend. We're really excited that you're here. Really excited to uh, start a new sermon series today. We're going to be going through uh, an important passage of scripture that I think is going to be incredibly helpful. And I'm not just saying that. I'm just, you know, of course, I want to get up here and do talk about something that's helpful. Uh, but I really do think that what we talk about over the next uh, six or seven weeks is going to be one of those sort of uh, foundational, fundamental, life-changing, uh, life-affirming truths. And, uh, and we'll talk about what that's all about. Most of you have heard of or know my brother Michael. Uh, he, if you don't know, he's the one on, uh, on, I guess, your right over there. Now, just on this picture, this is from a recent trip we took, just on this picture, you can uh, deduct two things about Michael. Two things. Does anybody want to tell me what they are? <laughs> you do not. I can see it in your faces. You're like, I'm not saying it. I'm... Number one, Michael is Oh, my mom said it, so she spared all you guys. <laughs> Michael is adopted. Um, that would be one thing. And if you're really observant, there's another, uh, another reality about Michael that you'd maybe be able to uh, discern. He's the handsome one. He's, he's the handsome one? <laughs> That's good. That's true. He's the good-looking one. Uh, Michael only has... Well, this is what I was going to say. Not that it detracts from his beauty, Alex. Uh, but Michael only has one arm, as you can see there. There's nothing filling out the rest of that sleeve. Uh, Michael was telling me a, a little while back, he's always getting people coming up to him saying, how did you lose it? You know, how'd you lose it? Crocodile, shark, you know, what happened? Uh, a while back, he was at a coffee shop. He was doing some work. He works for a church. He's a youth minister, actually, at a church in uh, California. And he was doing some work. And this guy he did not know came rushing up to his table. He said he was a young man, probably in his 20s. And he rushed up to Michael and he says, hey, man, how did you lose your arm? Did it get blown off in like a war or something? That's how he asked the question. And uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael said, uh, uh, no, I was born like this. And the guy said, oh, that's boring. And then he left. Now, we, I don't know anything about that guy. There could be all kinds of realities that would explain, you know, and you'd be like, oh, you know, that's just Chuck. That's how he is. But I think we could uh, maybe discern a couple things about this young man uh, based on that really quick interaction. One of the things that maybe we could assume, and I know this is an assumption, but we could presume that this young man probably hasn't had a lot of deep life experiences that would create in him some sort of uh, sensitivity or empathy. We could probably assume that. He's just like, how'd you lose your oats? Boring story. I'm out, you know, out of a coffee shop. He probably isn't someone that's seen a lot. He's probably that's, that, not someone that's, that's been through a lot himself or has been close to people that have been through a lot. You know what I mean? He's not experienced hardship. Otherwise, he would have some, some sensitivity and some care around a conversation like that. He would get to know Michael a little bit. Maybe he would forge, forge a friendship with him. And then maybe he'd spend some time with him. And they'd go out to a couple meals and they'd hang out. Maybe he'd go to church with Michael. And then he would finally say, hey, so how'd you lose the arm? 
Oh, that's boring, and he's out. I want you to, uh, I want you to think about that, that kind of reality. You've interacted with people who haven't really experienced life. You know what I'm talking about? They haven't experienced life. And when we say someone hasn't really experienced life, what we're essentially saying is that they haven't really experienced hardship. They haven't gone through a lot of difficulty. They haven't been through it and come out the other side and learned some important life lessons from what they've been through. All right? That's, I want you to have that, that through line in, in, in this morning and what we're thinking. And, and then, if you would, I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6 and verse 17. Luke, chapter 6 and verse 17. As you think about the experiences that, that produce depth and character, the hardship, the suffering that produces something in us. Luke, chapter 6, verse 17. This is Jesus. He went down with them, his disciples, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him. So all these people had gathered, they had come to hear him. Now, if you do this, if you plot this out on a map, not that you would care, but some of these people are walking miles and miles. They've traveled for a long distance to come hear Jesus, and he is in the middle of nowhere. He's not, this isn't like he's rented a stadium. He's not like at Target Field and there's big signs. There's not a Facebook event. There's, you can't watch this live on YouTube. You have to have heard word of mouth and then you have to have to decided that whatever you've heard is worth traveling to go see. You have to find a big crowd of people. Maybe you would go to a town and you would say, I've heard about this Jesus guy. And they're like, I don't know, but there's a big group of people out in the desert over there. Maybe that's them over there. So there's no Instagram presence. There's no all church email with event details. There's nothing of that. And what you would have done is you would have hit middle of nowhere and you would have heard him teach. And in this passage of scripture, there's only 29 verses to his teaching. That's all there is. It's, it's really short. But this is the content that you would have heard as you kind of edged your way to the front of the crowd to listen to what he had to say. This is what you would have heard. This is why I've called this series Greatest Hits. Not that Jesus had any B-sides or he had some tracks that were no good, but that this is probably as Jesus went around Galilee, Judea, as he went around uh, teaching, this is what you would have heard. These, these 29 verses would have been sort of, I don't want to say the stock speech because that minimizes it a little bit, but this is would have been the, the substance of what you heard. And the crazy thing to me is that thousands of years later, what we're going to read and what we're going to learn still reverberates. There's still some words that you're going to listen to and you're going to be like, man, I want that truth to be real for me in my life right now from thousands of years ago. This is so good and so deep and so true and so conforming to the way that, that life really is that you, would, you still are going to feel it. You're going to feel the truth through these words. So I want you to try to get, your, get yourself in the mindset, right, as you're taking in this teaching. You're a first century construction worker. You're a first century mom or dad or, or high schooler, and life has been hard. Life is not how you planned it. You didn't marry the person that you thought you were going to marry, or maybe the person you loved and wanted to spend the rest of your life with passed away, or maybe you've had to get two or three jobs because your family is a little bigger than you anticipated. But whatever it is, there's ex expectations that are confronted with disappointments. There's hopes that have been dashed by failures. You're longing for something more than what life has given you. And that's why the message of Jesus resonated, because it was a, it was a deep truth that bubbled up through his words. Because there's something more. You don't 
want it to just be about work and, and taxes, which was, were a heavy burden in the first century, both to uh, the Jewish tax collectors and to Rome. And then you die. You, you want something more than that. So you make your way to the front of the crowd and you look at this person. And at first, your first thought might have been, is that it? That's him? That's the guy? It's not very impressive. He doesn't look like much. The prophet Isaiah told us that Jesus wouldn't be someone that would, people were drawn to because of his beauty. This is no like Ryan Gosling at the front and you're like, okay, I get it. You know, chiseled features. I totally understand. There wasn't anything like that. You would have heard him say, now look at this. This is so cool. Verse 20, looking at his disciples. And I just like to kind of imagine that he made eye contact with his disciples. There's this big crowd, but he's talking to them, talking for everybody, but talking to his disciples, looking at them. And he said, blessed are you who are poor. And you're like, yeah, that's me, right? For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, who hunger now. And you're like, yeah, I didn't bring lunch. I forgot. I don't have anything. For you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Yeah, my life has been difficult. It has been hard. There's been a lot of sorrow. There's been a lot of pain. For you will laugh. And he says, verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. <laughs> Patrick, oh yeah, that guy, right. Because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. So let's compile these. Let's, let's make a short little list of what he just spoke about. Poor, hungry, crying, and insulted. I don't know if that describes your life at all. But if in any way it does, then what he's talking about is for you. But he goes on. That's not all he's got to say. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich. And I know a lot of us in the room are like, not me. Well, I guess it depends on how you measure it, right? For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now. Patrick, did you have to bring that up right after elder breakfast? Everybody's full, a little sleepy. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. They spoke well of them. So let's compile that, those woes. You have the blessings and the woes. The woes are if you're rich and you're full and you're laughing and you're praised. Now, when you read a passage like that, my first response, and I think likely a lot of people in the room, is like, okay, um, what? That is completely backward. So Jesus may be, all right, this Jesus is teaching truth or whatever, but that empirically, according to lived experience, what Jesus just said there doesn't sound true. It's, it's not right, is it? I mean, it's so obviously not true. Or maybe you would think, oh, how could that be true when it seems not true? Let me ask you a question, not a trick question. Is it better to be rich or poor? Well, and you're like, well, you got, I'm on a pickle here because Jesus just said the other way around, but I really would rather be rich. In fact, I do a lot of work to try not to be poor. It doesn't sound right. Is it better to be rich or poor? Do you remember those college days? I don't know, maybe this wasn't your experience, but where you ate ramen noodles for every meal for an entire month? You may have fond memories and you're like, wow, I was malnutrition, but you don't want to go back to those days. That's not what you're looking for. You're kind of glad that you have the income that you have now. 
You don't want to go back to the, the time where you were scraping through your seat cushions in your couch to get money to buy a half a tank of gas because it, you just didn't have any. You're broke. You don't want that. Or a good meal. Doesn't it feel good to push back from the table after just a super satisfying meal? Doesn't that feel like the blessing? Going hungry does not feel like a blessing. What is Jesus talking about? Sadness, laughter? Our experiences tell us something very different. In fact, most of us in the room have prayed prayers to God to move us from that top list to that bottom list. You have asked God to move you from what Jesus said was a blessing to what Jesus said was a danger. You've worked very hard to get from the top list to the bottom list. So what, what gives? What's going on? What is Jesus talking about? We like a rags to riches story. That's a good story. That makes a good Hallmark movie. Somebody born in poverty and they pull themselves up by the bootstraps, you know. Larry Ellison is the fourth richest man in the world and he has a great quote. He says that he has had every disadvantage necessary for success. We like those kinds of stories where someone goes from nothing and then they make themselves of something. That's what we like. We don't like, I mean, honestly, we don't wanna live, maybe we're interested, voyeuristically, but nobody wants to live the riches to rags story. Nobody wants that. It's a cautionary tale. Let me, I, I don't do a lot of sports illustrations, but let me do this one because I think it's worth it. Uh, this is a picture of a guy named Ryan Leaf in 1998, top of the world. Number two draft in the NFL in 1998. He's just, he's like 23 years old. He just signed a 42 million six year dollar contract. I mean, he's got everything that he wants. The only person that was ahead of him was Peyton Manning, who had a pretty good career himself. This is Ryan Leaf in 1998. Here's Ryan Leaf in 2012 in a prison uniform after being convicted for burglary while he was on probation. Now, we might read that story, but as a cautionary tale, when you look at these two pictures, which one do we think is blessed? Do we think Ryan Leaf with $42 million in the whole world uh, at his doorstep, is that, is that what we consider blessed? Or do we, do we think of Ryan Leaf in prison as blessed? Well, what would Jesus say? It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't sound right. What is he, what is he talking about? How, how is this... How is this true? Now, what Jesus is saying, they're not instructions. They're not advice. He doesn't say, go out and seek out sadness and poverty and hunger. By the way, those things can come at you pretty easily. You don't have to look very hard for them. These aren't instructions. He's saying, you are these things, but there is something about that state of being that humans miss, that we miss. We spend a lot of time and energy avoiding being poor and hungry and sad and insulted and a lot of time and energy pursuing being rich and well-fed and laughing and praised. But Jesus is saying we got it backward. We got it backward. What should be obvious is not always so obvious. When kids go off to uh, college, both the kids and the parents learn the things that the parents had been doing for the kids that the kids now had to do for themselves. There's this great um, social media account where this guy compiles all the things that college freshmen have texted their parents asking them how to do. And there's a huge list, and I wanted to share every single one of them, but we just didn't have time. But I loved some of them. I tried to pick my favorites. The first one I, I want to share was, how do I take clothes out of the washing machine? Do I just reach in there with my hands? 
kid had never taken clothes out of the washing machine. Um, yeah, this is another good one. What blinker do you use to go straight? Yeah, I mean, I, that's true. It does make sense. Somebody shouted out, it makes sense. And you're like, well, yeah, kind of, you know, I mean, I, I guess unless you were taught some of these things, it doesn't seem quite intuitive. I, again, I, I only included uh, three of them. And, and I don't, this one was from a kid who was at a college in Missouri and he texted his parents, can you send me my passport? I want to go to a football game, but it's in Arkansas. <laughs> was that Presley? Presley, did you do that? Was that you? I thought that was so funny. There was a bunch of them. There was a bunch of them just related to filling out forms like at the doctor. And one of them was like, am I a Vietnam vet? Because there was a little box and they were like, I don't know. Maybe I am. I don't, nobody's told me, you know. It's, they're so great. By the way, I was, I was doing, I was preparing this this week and, and one of our uh, volunteers that comes in all the time and fixes stuff, uh, Kevin Glenn, uh, came in and we were talking a little bit about that and he was talking about his mom who had grown up with a little bit more uh, versus his dad who had grown up with a little bit less. And of course, you can imagine how that all worked itself out. But he said that his mother, when she was off at college, she called or texted, I don't know exactly what, her parents and said, hey dad, something's wrong with the car. The gauges aren't right. Something's wrong. And dad's like, okay, well, describe to me what's going on. And she's like, well, the, there's this gauge. And I don't know, on one side, it has the letter E. And on the other side, it has the letter F. And well, where's the gauge? It's on E. Well, I know your problem, right? You know, it's stuff like that. You've never filled up a gas tank before. You, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. There are things that, that it just seems obvious to us, right? It just seems so obvious to us. It's better to be rich than poor. And Jesus comes along and is like, well, actually, if you could zoom out and you could see the big picture, you might not think that. You might not think that. And I think this is so important for us to explore. We're going in to, the, in the time we have left, we're going to talk about the painful truth about pain and truth. The painful truth about pain and truth. We've formed our own blessings and woes, but Jesus is saying we've gotten it all wrong. So we're just going to do this in, in three parts. There's, there's likely more that you could discern through here, but there's three things that are painfully true about pain and truth. And the first one is this, essential truths about life and about growth and about God and about well-being and about what it means to be human. Essential truths are only learned through hardship. Only. You can sit your children down and you can say, this is the way life is. And you know, until they run into the buzzsaw that is life and difficulty, they cannot learn those truths. I don't know why we can't just listen to a TED talk or read a book or listen to a podcast, but there's something about real life and depth and truth that we only learn through hardship. Now, I'm kind of the worst about this. If we were to do one of those fun personality assessments where you get all the different personality types, and it doesn't matter. You could use the DISC or the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or any of those. All of those, if we got all those up here and you got to uh, my personality type, my personality type is, um, it depends on you know, which, which scale you like to use, but um, you would have one personality that's like, oh, this person's really good at perseverance, or this person's good at empathy, or this person is awesome at feeling uh, sadness and working through that. And, and then you would get to me. And at first, everything that my personality, you know, when you take those tests and you read the outcomes, it's, it all sounds really positive. It's like, oh, yeah, you're a lot of fun. You bring the life, the energy. You bring the party. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. That's great. That's really good. That's what I'm talking about. And then you get to the other side where they talk about the not-so-good part of the personality. And uh, then it goes on to say, yeah, you do that to avoid anything hard or painful or difficult. 
oh, that's not so good. That's not exactly where I want to be. My, my entire personality type, I'm being confessional here, is wired around avoiding the kind of pain that one needs in order to develop as a human. That's, that's what these tests tell me. Oh, that's not so fun. So, for example, uh, unpleasant thought rattling in my brain, distract it, distract yourself, go have fun, go do something, don't think about it. Something getting you down, Patrick? Ah, think only happy thoughts, happy meals, McDonald's. Too much silence and quiet, noise, busyness, activity. I can't handle those things. And so I've had people like, Patrick, you're really excited, energetic today. Well, yeah, I'm running away from some sad thoughts. So I don't, I don't tell them that. My children are way more well-versed in the uh, intricacies of emotion and, and, and therapeutic talk and thought uh, and vocabulary than I am. And I've, this has happened so many times where I, like, my kids are sad and they'll be like, it's okay, here, have a Twinkie or whatever, you know, trying to describe, it's fine, let's go, let's, let's watch a movie, let's go play, let's do something. And my kids will tell me all the time, this is true, my kids will be like, Dad, it is okay to be sad. <laughs> and they're right. It is okay to be sad. That's such a hard lesson for me to learn. It is okay to be sad. Last summer, um, my, my youngest, Liam, um, had get the neighbor, some neighbor lady had given all the kids popsicles and, you know, it was a great summer treat, you know, making friends. And Liam, of course, immediately dropped his. And, you know, when kids are a certain age, I mean, that is, that's DEFCON 5. You've never seen so many tears. Let's lower all the flags to half mass. Let's have a national day of mourning. It's just the saddest. You've never seen a child so sad. Um, and he comes inside and my personality is like, well, buddy, I'll get you another one. It's, you know, we'll just make it better. You know, do you have a popsicle? I do not, but I'll figure something out, you know. And, uh, and I said, well, hey, why don't you go back outside and play, and then you'll forget about how sad you are. And, and he said this. He's, you know, he was 10 at the time. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, but I just want to stay in here and mope for a little bit. <laughs> Good for you, buddy. I probably didn't say that, but that's, that's true. There, there are just essential lessons about life that we can't learn when we avoid sadness. Jesus said, blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who weep. What essential lessons do you learn through difficulty and sadness and pain? You learn humility. That's a hard <laughs> lesson to learn. Learning to be humble is a humiliating lesson to learn when you're not humble. You learn resolve. You learn how to persevere, especially when everything around you says to change what you think or believe. You learn determination. You learn to, how to stand for what you think and what you think is true. But ultimately, you, you do learn happiness. You cannot learn happiness by running from sadness. You can only learn happiness by working through it and going through it. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the sad, you know what? I think he might be right. I think he might be right. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we also glory. This is Paul, I think, just capitalizing on what Jesus says. We, we said, we glory in our sufferings because we know, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. He's saying you cannot really have hope without suffering. No, I just prefer the hope, God. That's all I need. Nope. Well, here's some suffering because <laughs> that's how you get there. 
no, 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 I don't really want that. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to distract myself from that. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to not pay attention to that. No, you're, you're never going to have hope in this life without suffering. Blessed are you who are poor and hungry and crying and insulted. The second lesson I think we can learn is that that hardship, difficulty shatters the illusion that we don't need God. Years ago, when I first came to Woodbury, this is going to sound a little surprising, but when I first came to Woodbury, I had some mentors who knew nothing about the church uh, who warned me, who said, you need to be really careful going to a place like Woodbury. And I know you're thinking like, well, we're nice people. What are you, what are you talking about? What they were warning me about wasn't anybody in here. What they were saying is that, and you can look this up. This is pretty interesting. But Southern Iowa and, and Washington County are drastically different in terms of per capita income. The county that we were ministering in in Iowa is at the very bottom of Iowa's per capita income. And do you happen to know what county in Minnesota is at the very top of per capita income? Some of you are going to be surprised by this. Minnetonka. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. You aren't surprised by that at all. It's, it's Washington County. Did you know that? Per capita. Now I realize you're like, wow, we don't have the nicest houses. There's other places. Per capita, Washington County's wealthiest county in Minnesota. So this is what they were warning me about. Like when I, in, in, in Iowa, we saw nice cars in magazines at the dentist's office. In Woodbury, you're just like, what? One after another. Like, who are these people? What? This is amazing. In Iowa, certain wealthy people had cell phones. Now, this is a little while back, but certain wealthy people had cell phones. When I moved to Minnesota, every kid in the youth group had a cell phone. And I'm like, I didn't even have a cell phone. I'm like, what is this place? It's this magical land where money is flowing left and right. What is happening? And people, my mentors just said, hey, watch out. Watch out. Working and ministering in a place of affluence can, can be difficult. It can be difficult. And I think they were tapping into what Jesus says. Like, it is, it, it is woe to you who are rich. It's a danger to you who are rich. Can I show you this? This blew my mind. This is a survey from 114 countries, not counties, countries. And look at what happens as the per capita income increases. The question is, is religion an important part of your daily life? When you are broke... Yep, it's very important. 95% of people said that religion is important in their daily life when they had less than $2,000 per capita. Of course, this is all over the globe, right? Very, very different economic scales. But look at what happens. Like, you would think that I was making this up for my sermon. Nope, this is from Gallup. And just look at what happens to the list as it goes down. If you make more than $25,000, you're 50-50. Isn't that wild? It's almost like Jesus was right when he said, hey, watch out, rich people, watch out. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. According to Gallup, it's about 50-50. And it doesn't mean that you have to like, well, I just got to get rid of it all. Although if you want to, I suppose that's fine. What it means is you've got to be extra diligent that that wealth doesn't pull you away from God. Because it's so easy to rely on your bank account and your car and everything else. You don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to lean on Jesus because you've got things taken care of. You've got it all planned out and all laid out. That's amazing. 
It's amazing to me. Jesus maybe was right. Maybe as rich people, and by the world standards, we're rich. Maybe we need to be extremely careful. This, is, this truth is repeated throughout Scripture. Hosea chapter 13, verse 6. This is one that I think about all the time uh, where it says, When I fed them, this is Jesus, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. Blessed are you who are poor. Arrogant people don't seek after God. How do you teach someone who thinks they've got it all figured out? How do you help someone who is full? Blessed are the poor, hungry, crying, and insulted. And then finally, the third lesson I think that we can learn is the awareness of our needs makes us aware of others' needs. Undeserved wealth is rarely uh, good for our empathy. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Undeserved privilege is rarely good for our empathy. Um, I, I fly economy. I have to preface that. And uh, every, nearly every time I fly, I have an internal dialogue that is making fun of the people in first class. <laughs> I should tell you this. <laughs> They'll board the plane and the, the, the clerk at the station, you know, the, will be like, yeah, you know, everybody in first class, you can board now. And I'll just be sitting in my chair smuggling. Dummy spent a bunch of extra on this two-hour flight. Just what a waste. Look at them. They think they're so cool, so pretentious. And you get on the plane, and you're walking by these people in first class, and just like, I'm a, I don't want to be with you. I mean, I don't, I, I'm going to be back here with my people. And then they close that dumb curtain. You know, have you ever been on a flight where they have the curtain between first class and the rest of the commoners in the back? And I've just been like, that's so stupid. That is so pretentious. That is so ridiculous. One time, um, I was flying standby, and they said, uh, you know, all we have left is a first-class seat. <laughs> when, when I tell you that my entire personality changed <laughs> in an instant, we're boarding first-class, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, I got first-class, I got to get up to the front take my seat. Like, hey, yeah, can I get my warm towel, please? Can you please shut that curtain? I don't want to have to acknowledge. I mean, you're facing this way. You're not seeing them anyway. I just don't want to have to acknowledge the unwashed masses behind me. I'm, I'm first class. Undeserved privilege and wealth and advantage is rarely good for our empathy. And privilege, in my case, corrupted me instantly. Just instantly. Sebastian uh, Younger is a nonfiction author, and he's written a, a bunch of cool books, but one of his most recent was called Freedom, and he and three friends spent a lot of time just wandering the countryside, living. Yeah, not, they, they weren't trying to live like they were homeless, but they were just like, what does it mean just to, just to live and go and not have a place? And so they were wandering around like railroad tracks all over Pennsylvania. But and, and one of the things he observed in this, in this book is that when they walked through poor neighborhoods, people would like, hey, you guys okay? Do you need anything? You need some, you need some water? You need a place to sleep? You know, they would get a lot of empathy and sympathy in poor neighborhoods. You know what happened when they went through rich neighborhoods? 911. Because privilege and wealth doesn't make us empathetic people who are really interested in others' needs. It makes us very protective of what we have achieved and earned. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are insulted. You can begin to see, well, maybe Jesus was right. Maybe he was right. 
The most valuable, enduring, transformative lessons I have ever learned are through pain. Pain that I worked very hard to avoid. Very hard to avoid. Can, can I just read the article? Nope. <laughs> you got to go through it. And the most valuable, enduring, transforming lessons that you have learned are through pain. Whether or not you understand how that all worked, maybe you just think, like, oh, I went through that hard thing and I also learned this thing, but you didn't realize they went together. You find this crazy thing uh, that from people who have gone through something hard and they've, they've gone through it, not avoided it, and they've learned from it, is they will say something like, and it's, this is really hard to articulate, but they'll say something like, um, I would never want to go through that again. I would never wish that on anybody, but I wouldn't change anything. And it's a really hard truth to articulate, to understand that that thing that happened to you was awful and terrible and, and shouldn't have happened and is a result of a broken world and this isn't the way that we want life to be, but that what happened in you because of that thing is good. Like, like God was able to take these, these ashes and make something beautiful. Ryan Leaf, who I showed you earlier, was the richest to rag story. He wrote uh, himself an open letter in, in 2017. He wrote a letter to his younger self. And I, I'm not going to read you the whole thing. Um, it's, it's fascinating to read his perspective from, from years later. And he's gone on to have struggles even since. But I wanted to read you an excerpt of what he wrote to himself as we close uh, this morning. Dear 21-year-old Ryan, I have a joke for you. Stop me if you've heard it before. What's the difference between Ryan Leaf and God? God doesn't think he's Ryan Leaf. And I know you're feeling a lot like God right now because it's April 18th, 1998, and the San Diego Chargers just selected you with the second pick in the NFL draft. Congratulations. You, have, you officially have it all. Money, power, prestige, all the things that are important, right? You think you're on top of the world and that you've got all the answers. So my advice to you is enjoy it while it lasts because it won't last. And he goes on to recount his career. And it was just he's ranked as one of the biggest busts in sports history. He retires early. And in an attempt to avoid the pain and disappointment that we have to travel through to get to happiness, he ends up hooked on opioids, which ultimately leads to breaking and entering and the, the arrest. He goes on to write this. The real Ryan Leaf is strong and empathetic and self-aware. He understands that there's more to life than money and power and prestige. That Ryan Leaf is somewhere inside you. But it will take something drastic for you to dig deep and bring out the real you. 32 months in prison for burglary and drug crimes, that will be the something drastic. Sometimes things need to get worse before they get better. I look back sometimes and I think about how things might have been different if I made, an, made it as an NFL quarterback and lived up to the hype. I'd probably be sitting here today at 40 years old with a couple of championships under my belt and a long Hall of Fame football career behind me, but I'm kind of glad things worked out the way that they did. I know that sounds cliche, but if I could go back, I wouldn't change anything, not even the decisions that took me to rock bottom. I would want everything to be exactly the same because today... I am happy with my life and with who I am. And I'd rather be happy and have strong relationships in my life than just to be another jerk with a couple Super Bowl rings. Congrats again on getting, that, on getting drafted. Enjoy it while it lasts. Sincerely, Ryan Leaf. 
Now, I, I want to, this is important for me to say as we wrap up. You don't have to think that evil is somehow good. There is, are terrible things that happen in the world, terrible things that should not happen. You don't have to think those things are good. You don't have to walk around saying, well, I, you know, it's just the way it is. No, bad things happen, and we can acknowledge that stuff is evil and awful. And, and in fact, you can go through hardship and not learn anything. Most of us have. We've gone through pain and difficulty and learned zero lessons because we're dense. But there is an opportunity in that pain for a blessing. And so we, we want to ask ourselves this question, who really is blessed and, and who really is in danger? And, and if you came into the room feeling like, ah, this is hard, life is hard, life is not what I want it to be, maybe there's something in that for you, that God is doing something in you and for you through those things. Wow. It's a remarkable truth. No wonder people traveled for miles and miles to hear Jesus. No wonder. Suffering is hard, but the good news is that we have a Savior who didn't avoid it, who, Hebrew says, through the, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but came out on the other side as an example for what it's like to go through difficult things, painful things, things that sometimes your brain doesn't even want to allow you to give vocabulary to because it's so hard. You don't want to have to acknowledge that truth in your life, but maybe reality and truth and happiness and growth is on the other side of that and living a life of just avoiding it just is leaving you disintegrated and angry and bitter who really is blessed who really is blessed we're going to wrap up and i'm going to ask our uh, praise team to come up on stage and we're going to close with a song called who you say i am and i think it's a valuable reminder for us to not define for ourselves who we are and what is good and what is bad, but to learn those lessons from Christ, that who we are is who he says we are. And if we're redeemed, we're redeemed. If we're blessed, we're blessed. If we're, if we're ready, we're ready. And if he says we're not those things, then we're not those things. Jesus is the one who gets to define reality for us because Jesus is the one who created reality. So let's stand together and let's sing this. And if it doesn't feel true for you right now, that's okay. You can listen along, listen along to the words. If it seems true and if you want to honor Jesus with that truth, well, then sing out. Let's sing together. <laughs>